The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of Sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love ride. Welcome to turning hard times into good times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes a newsletter, a weekly newsletter called Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes an impromptu newsletter. It's called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And I say impromptu because whenever Chen finds something that he's really uh, hot about or not hot about, he'll let his subscribers know. Chen, in particular, has had a stellar track record. Uh, as we've mentioned many times in this show before, he took $5,400 in January of 2003 and turned it into over a million dollars, about $1.1 million at the end of April. It's down a bit now from that, but still a very, very remarkable performance. So Chen shares those investment ideas with his subscribers, and you can try Chen's newsletter as well as Rogers and my own newsletter uh, by calling Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426 at 718-457-1426 and, uh, or by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. And you can try a low-priced introductory trial subscription to see if the letters, uh, either any of or all of those, are for you. Uh, we do also provide some free things on the Internet, jayswatchlist.com. Jayswatchlist.com uh, provides you with um, 
uh, an indication of some of the companies that I'm taking a look at for possible inclusion in my newsletter. Uh, so there's that, and there's uh, some other places, too, that you can go to uh, that we talk about from time to time. Uh, J. Taylor Media is another site that you can go to. There's a lot of things there as well. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show because so many of you are listening. We are now the number one show on the Voice American Business Channel. So thanks to each of you for that. We also want to thank our sponsors for making this show financially possible, and they are Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, Solidown. Sullivan Gold Corp, Dasha Capital, Richfield Ventures, Golden Minerals, Clifton Star, Silvercrest Mines, Duncan Park Holdings, and Swiss America. I should say those are the sponsors for the first hour of this show. We have some different sponsors for the second hour of the show. In fact, one of them is Everton Resources, and I will be talking to the CEO of Everton Resources in a few minutes. Uh, he's Andre Audet. He's the chairman and CEO of that company. Uh, that's a company, as, as I say, as a second-hour sponsor for this show, and it's also a company that I have recommended to my subscribers in my newsletter uh, for reasons that I think will become apparent once Audrey, uh, Andre talks to us in a few minutes. Well, later in the program, during the second hour, I'm also scheduled to talk to a couple of other gold mine exploration companies, Ashburton Ventures and Klondex Mines. They're both Jay's watch list companies. I have been saying that gold stocks are in the bull market of a lifetime. I really believe that is the case. There are macroeconomic reasons for believing that gold is in a bull market, but I'm not just talking about gold in nominal terms. What I'm talking about is gold in real terms. What does an ounce of gold buy? And we've seen a dramatic increase in what an ounce of gold will buy since the Lehman Brothers' breakdown in September of 2008. We've seen uh, the, the price of gold will buy or they had an ounce of gold, will buy about, it got up to about 43% of the Rogers Raw Materials Fund, and that was only around 18% prior to the Lehman Brothers collapse. It's now around 36%. But what we're seeing with the real price of gold, the price of gold rising relative to energy, materials costs, labor costs, and so forth, we're seeing blockbuster profits coming now from the major gold mining companies. And I have been predicting this, and sure enough, we're getting the second quarter uh, earnings reports now from Gold Corp. Newmont, Agneagle Eagle, just to name three that I watch, all of them have had record second quarter profits, doing extremely well. They're increasing their production, but their marginal costs are going down relative to the price of gold, which is exactly what should happen when the real price, uh, the real cost, the real price of gold goes up. And this is not a fluke, folks. I think that Bob Hoy has provided us with insights under this throughout the last 300 years. Every time we've had one of these major credit contractions. And I believe that's what we are in the midst of right now and a long ways to go yet. We've had a real bull market in gold and gold mining. You mine gold because you make a profit from it just like you do any other business. And so this is not uh, unimportant for the junior companies, the kinds of companies that, that are sponsors to this show, because what happens is the major companies are not particularly good at finding gold. They have their own interest, and that's really usually short-term quarterly interest to try to increase next month's quarter, uh, quarterly earnings and the annual earnings. And, and so those companies don't have the mindset and the corporate culture to go out and sink high-risk capital in the ground, which is exactly what the junior mining companies do. And when you invest in a junior mining company, you realize that there's lots of risk involved, but also you have a tremendous amount of upside as well. Well, um, we are going to have, uh, as I said, we're going to be talking to a couple of more junior gold mining companies, and rightfully so, because I think, as I say, this is really a great opportunity, one of the few sectors, I believe, where you can make a lot of money in the years to come. I should mention that our main guest today is going to be Howard Davidowitz. 
I personally enjoy listening to Howard very much. He's a, he's a frequent guest on the major media in New York. He is perhaps the greatest, uh, the best known, most famous person for uh, retail uh, investing, a retail uh, analysis. He's a retail analyst, a, a consumer analyst. So uh, he's going to be on to tell us. He really tells it like it is. Roger, this is a fellow, uh, Howard Davidowitz, who doesn't care what you think. He's going to tell you what he believes. And it's because he's in your face with what he believes that makes him so outstanding and so interesting. We're going to also have Roger Wiegand joining me as well as Gisbert Gudenwagen uh, when we talk to Howard Davidowitz. Well, don't go away. We're going to go to a break right now, and we're going to come right back. We've got so many things to talk about today. We're going to come right back with Andre Audette with, uh, from Everton Resources. So don't go away. We'll be right back. You'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt, and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Tech, Ballet, InMet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Solid and Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this, expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year, highlighting a very positive and economical project, and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.solidan.com to learn more. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by. Dasha Capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals, giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk. Rare earth elements are used in many industries from aerospace and automotive to high tech and green tech. 
Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.VN Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's D-A-C-H-A Capital.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, I was just uh, talking uh, about the huge increase in profits of the senior gold mining companies, and I sort of expected that because, as I've been saying on this show, the real price of gold has been rising very dramatically, you know, from something around 17 or 18 percent of the Rogers Raw Material Fund that announced the gold would buy to over 43 percent after the Lehman Brothers collapse. So we've seen what an ounce of gold will buy, and that's really important because if what you're, you're selling, gold, from the mines, it goes up much more rapidly than the cost of energy, the cost of materials, the cost of labor, and so forth, then your profit margins expand, and, of course, your reserves can expand and your whole operation. So we're seeing that actually come to life now in the numbers that have just been reported for the second quarter of this year. Now, that, as I was saying in the first segment, is also very important, not just for those companies, the big companies that are producing gold, but the junior gold mining companies that are out there finding it. And it's very important for those companies because eventually the money comes down the food chain, the investments, the capital that works its way down the food chain to those companies that are capable of finding gold. And the big guys are not particularly good at it. The junior gold mining companies have a history of it. They have the corporate culture to go out and sink high-risk capital into the ground, and they do it much more successfully. And so that's why I'm very, very pleased to have junior mining companies primarily as our sponsors to this show, and I'm really pleased to have with me Andre Odette. He's the president and chairman of Everton Resources, which is a sponsor of the show. They are a second-hour sponsor to the show. Uh, Everton Resources trades on the Toronto Exchange um, under the symbol uh, EVR, I believe it is, and they also trade on the over-the-counter exchange as well uh, under the symbol EVRRF. There are approximately, um, I believe, about 95 million shares outstanding now, but it's selling only at a little over 20 cents. So it has, uh, I'm sorry, about 21 and a half cents last I looked earlier today. Gives it a market cap of only about 20 million dollars in spite of the fact that they have had a historical resource and lots of very exciting properties in Ontario and Quebec. But the more recent uh, uh, focus of this company has been in the Dominican Republic, and we're going to ask Andre just a minute, in just a minute to explain why the Dominican Republic instead of the old standard sort of uh, gold-producing regions of Quebec and Ontario where the company is. Well, I, I want to welcome you, Andre, to uh, Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Jay, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. 
Well, it's really great to have you. I enjoyed meeting up with you when I traveled down to the Dominican Republic uh, several months ago. Uh, I know you have a lot of very promising properties in Ontario and Quebec. I can remember as you were sitting opposite me in the aircraft and you were showing me all these maps and talking about all these exciting different properties in Ontario and Quebec, and I am very bullish on Quebec. I'm very bullish on Ontario. We have uh, companies on this uh, that are sponsored this show, companies that are in my, uh, on, in my newsletter that have great, exciting projects in those areas of the world. But you've really, uh, that is in the old gold mining production areas of Ontario and Quebec, but you You've really focused on the Dominican Republic. Can you tell our listeners why? Yeah, I'd love to. I think we're, uh, the Dominican Republic is seeing a huge revival of mining. You've got people not, might not be aware of that, but the second biggest gold deposit in the world is sitting in the Dominican Republic, right in the middle of the island, about an hour away from Santo Domingo. Barrick Gold is spending $3 billion developing this project, which will go in production um, the fourth quarter of 2011. It's a 30 million ounce deposit, mm. and uh, we're adjacent to it. Uh, when I say we're adjacent, with the uh, the uh, the new pit that Barrick is building is budding right against our border. So I don't know of any junior that is uh, surrounds 30 million ounce where the pit is actually against the border. We mm. share the same, exactly the same geology. It's only seen uh, a few drill holes, and we're about to embark a in a very major drill program over the next couple of weeks. Also, the DR is stable politically. You can work year-round. It's got great infrastructure. You can We can drive right onto the property uh, and be back in the capital for dinner. Um, uh, great road system. And uh, it's relatively unexplored. Um, there's world-class deposits. I mentioned Barrick. There's also Extrata. That's there with the Falcon Domain. It's a nickel deposit, very large nickel laterite deposit. A third mine went into production about a year ago, very profitable mine called Cerro de Maimon. It's a polymetallic mine. So I think this country is uh, about to be get on the map big time for, um, for mining gold and also uh, base metals. Well, Andre, I know I, I can visualize in my mind, you know, it's always better if you can get to a property and see things. I'm still, in my own mind, seeing those uh, the, the rock structure through the road cut that extended onto your property from this huge barrack uh, property where they're going to, as I understand it, produce, ex- expected to produce about a million ounces a year on this 30 million ounce uh, project. Um, to me, that that was you know that visual impact is is lasting with me, and I'm and I'm wondering how soon are you going to start to drill into that structure to see if in fact that same that same structure contains gold on your side of the border as it does on the barrack side of the border, and how soon might we get some results? Yeah, well, I've got the contract right in front of me. I think we'll be uh, the drilling should start the week of uh, 16th of August. We're going to have a we want to do a minimum of 100 holes. Uh, we'll have a first-phase drilling of about 25 holes, and there'll be a multi-phase drill program. But it's amazing, this property, where we has only seen about five or six drill holes in the area that we're going to drill, which is amazing when you're adjacent to a massive deposit like that. But we've, um, you know, we've, uh, we've uh, done all the basic geology that was never done. We've done the, the soil sampling, the rock sampling, the geophysics, the satellite imagery. We've thrown everything at this property. We've identified 15 to 20 uh, areas that we want to drill, and um, we're, um, we're, we're excited. I mean, we think it's very strong potential of, of a new discovery. We, again, we share the same geology, and the deposit trends, we feel, trends on to our ground. 
Well, you've done uh, you've done all that sort of boring work that the that the scientists require you to do to uh, to know where best to put your drill holes down now, and that isn't the kind of thing that's going to get your stock price very excited, probably. But let's say that you come up with some big holes. I have to guess that your little company there with a market cap of twenty million could very easily double or triple on some exciting holes. And if the market starts to sense uh, that you have any kind of you know substantial structure and it's gold bearing. And it's the same. It's the same. If it is, it turns out to be the same uh, structure and the same kind of grades and so forth that's over there in the other uh, in Barrick's property. I would think it, it ought to do some pretty spectacular things to the year share price. Oh, I think uh, that's the reason. Uh, you know, the reason that that's what the blue sky for Everton is us hitting similar drill holes as uh, what Barrick's hit, and uh, I think you see the stock. <laughs> you see, you see your stock go uh, multiple, multiple percentage. So. That's the upside. The other thing too, we do have. Uh, we've already made some discoveries in the DR and also in other areas called Lala Choza, which we think will have a base metal resource. And uh, again, we've got a huge land package in the country that uh, that's going to see some drilling this year. So, obviously, the the recent drilling is what's going to move the stock, I think. But we have many other prospects. Yeah, you do have many other prospects. How many properties do you have in the Dominican Republic? Well, I'd say we have close to 20, Jay. Uh, we're, you know, 20 projects. Some are small, but we are going to be active on three major projects. The most, the one, the best beside Barrick will see most of the attention. But we're going to do some drilling on the project we have on the Haiti border, which again, uh, has some great results on surface of copper gold. And, uh, we're also going to do, um, some work at the Quance Los Anchos potential, which is only, uh, Less than 10 kilometers away from the giant Pueblo Viejo mine, so we're going to we're going to be drilling three three prospects, uh, which have strong potential for uh, for discovery. Um, and uh, but the key one is certainly the one uh, adjacent to Pueblo Viejo. And that's really what you'd consider your flagship now. That's what investors probably will be watching most closely in the, in the near term, at least. Yeah, I think you'll, you know, we should have initial results uh, by the end of September, uh, mid to end of September. And I'd be watching, uh, I'd be watching for that, definitely. Yeah, I would. I would think investors want to watch that. Uh, you know, since I've been down there, the stock hasn't gone much of any, hasn't done much of anything. Honestly, hasn't. And I guess maybe because. People just aren't focused on it. I mean, there's so many of these little junior mining companies to, to follow. How do people really figure out, you know, which is the best one to put their money? Because you can just spread your money out to so many different companies. But when I see something like, you know, when I see something like I saw when I was down there, and, you know, you have to say you've got to own a few shares, and I, I felt and put it into my newsletter because I said, we've got to own some shares of this company because if they hit, you know, you're going to have a multiple. Um, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna you could have a ten bagger very easily from a, a twenty cent stock to a two dollar stock if the market starts to see the potential for a multi million ounce deposit. Well, yeah, I think there. that's why you buy Everton. I think the um, the drill program that we're going to start shortly has the potential to make Everton a, a ten bagger. Definitely, any sniff of any anything similar to Barrick, uh, and I think it's off of the races. So. Uh, yeah. But investors well, have certainly other, you know, uh, other, you know, other assets there that can certainly support a lot higher stock price. That we that's have uh, that, that's right. I want to get to some of those too. But I would just say that you know, um, uh, investors uh, need to focus on the companies that have the best prospects. And of course, 
I'm, I'm really pleased to have you on because I honestly think that you, you know, that Everton has, has one of the best shots of being one of the biggest. And I think virtually nobody knows about you yet. So, which is why our listeners are going to be, you know, among the, the first ones to really pay attention uh, or to hear the story. Uh, you have, uh, as you say, 20 other projects. You know, I talked to your geologist when we were waiting around at the airport uh, coming back from the Dominican Republic and, and uh, and he said that you had put the question to him at one time. You know why? Where? If there was any place in the world where you would go to uh, to, to explore for gold, where would it be? And he and he suggested Dominican Republic. I guess in part because it has been underdeveloped and all the other positive things you talked about. Oh, definitely. I mean, the, the, there's about five active companies right now, and uh, it's 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 seeing a revival now. They've had a you know they've had a strong government, uh, a very stable government now for the last, uh, oh geez, uh, the last 15 years, and that certainly has brought a lot of attention to the country. The fact that Barrick is there, Extrata, certainly is, um, is reassuring a lot, of, a lot of people that it's like, you know, you can do business there, it's safe politically, you're not going to get your property taken away from you. And it's uh, it turned out for us, it's a breeze. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun to work there, and uh, the geology is just incredible. incredible. Yeah. I, I guess we should mention that you are uh, your flagship property. The name of it. What is the name of that property? The name of the property is Appellation, and you have an abbreviation probably. For <coughs> yeah, Appellation Pueblo Viejo. We call it the APV property. The APV property, yeah. and I should also mention that your joint venture partner there is another sponsor of this show, Brigus Brigus Gold. Right, we're. Um... It's a property that we've optioned from them. We've um, we've earned our fifty percent interest, and we'll be about to announce that we are able to earn a substantial to increase our interest in the property in a substantial way. Uh, I was in a meeting with Briggs Gold last week, and we're um, we're going to be able to increase our interest substantially in this property. So I think this will be something the market will like. Now you have properties as well as we talked about in Ontario and Quebec. Uh, what can you tell us about any plans you have there? Yeah, the, the idea, like you mentioned, uh, Jason, focus in the DR. We're actually now entertaining some serious offers on. We want to uh, joint venture and spin off our Canadian assets. We feel we're not getting much value for that. Um, again, in Quebec, we we surround uh, the Gold Corp deposit that uh, that is around 10 million ounces. We're the biggest landowners in that area. We spent seven million dollars on this property. We've identified a lot of targets, but we think it's a work that a major should be doing. Um, uh, the costs are a little bit high in working up in the James James Bay area, mm-hmm. in the Openaca area. So we're entertaining now some. Uh, Interesting, um, interesting deals that I think the market will be surprised because those assets are kind of forgotten in Everton. But now, with a new joint venture deal, I think it will put a large value on those assets. Again, we're the biggest landowners around 10 million ounces when we're mm-hmm. a few kilometers away. Lots of gold. We found lots of gold on surface. Lots of gold entrenching. But now we need a big company to come in there and, and drill those targets. And you're suggesting a big company could be on the way? Is that something we well, look for? Well, I think, uh, stay tuned. All I can say okay, is we're talking okay. to some all serious right, all people. Right. Well, you certainly yeah. can't say anything uh, no. before you know it's going to happen, that's for sure. So, uh, but, but anyway, that would be a goal, I guess, is what you're telling us, is to get a major company that can spend the dollars that are required to come in and, and uh, drill in those expensive areas. That's Quebec. What about Ontario? Well, Ontario, people, you know, people uh, maybe don't realize we have 800,000 ounces, 43,101 compliant ounces. Uh, and again, uh, we're, you know, we're getting about maybe twenty, you know, fifteen, twenty dollars an ounce for value for this project. Mm. 
again, we're in the process of doing something with the Ontario assets that will uh, that will put a value on our projects. Um, at least there's some companies out there that are looking to increase their resource, their reserves, and uh, again, there'll be some some announcements uh, shortly on on the Ontario assets. So it's been a busy summer for us. The key is focus on the DR spin out or JV or Ontario and Quebec assets, and we're uh, uh, we're getting close and finalizing some some major agreements. I guess it's been a busy summer. Uh, however, it's a summer. It's as I mentioned earlier, the kind of work that doesn't necessarily get people excited about your company yet. Very important things taking place, uh, building wealth. What, um, uh, what what would you say the biggest risk that investors face if they were going to buy your shares right now? Well, I think the it's the market. I think uh, the company. I think we're doing all the right things. Uh, um, I think it's the the risk is is the market. Uh, sure. I, I think gold is certainly on a bull run. Uh, it's you no know, investors are sitting on cash. I think it's the stock market. Is it going a lot higher or is it going a lot lower? Right. I think it's it's more of a market risk. Corporately, things are, have never gone better yeah. uh, for us. Uh, I think we're in a commodity bull market. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the um, I think investors are nervous, or you know, they're not sure which way we're going to go here. Okay, well, that's fair enough. I, I, I personally, as I've said earlier, think that we're in a bull market of a lifetime for gold mining shares. I'm, I'm really interested in value. So if you can keep building value without diluting your share base too much, why well, I think you know, people are going to be pleasantly surprised as we move forward. Well, folks, we do have to go to break. You've heard the music coming on here and uh, never enough time. Thank you very much, Andre, for being with us. I hope we'll have you back sometime soon. But folks, Thanks. don't go away because we're going to have our special guest this week. It's How- he's Howard Davidowitz. He's the famous retail analyst who will tell us, uh, he'll tell it like it is. He'll tell us what he believes. And that's what I really like about Howard. He's going to talk about the economy, about retail investing, and whatever else is on his mind. We're going to listen to Howard Davidowitz in just a couple of minutes. Don't go away. We'll be right back. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. 
Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol RVC. Led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to richfieldventures.ca for further information. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Solid and Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this, expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year, highlighting a very positive and economical project and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.solidan.com to learn more. Dasha Capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals, giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk. Rare earth elements are used in many industries, from aerospace and automotive to high-tech and green-tech. Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's D-A-C-H-A-Capital.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down. Sliding down, try not to try too hard. It's just a love ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Back to turning hard times into good times. We are supposed to have uh, Howard Davidowitz with us. Uh, he's, we've not had Howard join us yet. I know our engineers are trying to get in touch with him. We do have Roger Wiegand, however, with us, and uh, so, uh, Roger, you and I, I guess we'll uh, we'll bat the breeze here a little bit and perhaps talk about the markets until we get until we get Howard on. Welcome, Roger. Yeah. Good afternoon. Good to hear from you. Uh, yeah. Likewise, and I, I just I'm just wondering. I, I've noticed that we have Meredith Whitney uh, talking on CNBC now, and I would normally, if I weren't on the radio, would definitely take off the mute button and listen to Meredith because she always has 
a lot of very wise things to say. I mean, I put Meredith Whitney in the same sort of camp as I put Howard Davidowitz. Both of them are very outspoken people that aren't afraid to say things the markets may not like. And that's really sort of unusual because most of the people you see on CNBC and the other major networks are really sort of giving a positive spin to everything because they got to keep selling their wares. They got to keep selling the stock, right? They got to keep selling their bonds. And so everything is going to be just perfect. Keep believing in fiat money. Well, uh, what are your thoughts these days, Roger? We see the Dow is down 36 points now today. Not a big deal. But where do you think we're at in this equity market now? Well, we've been, we've been working toward a peak now for, for literally weeks, and everybody's been expecting a major top and a selling event. And the longer-term charts and the intermediate charts for both the Dow and the S&P and actually the part of the NASDAQ, too, are all telling us that uh, we should be finding a peak and we should be selling off. Now, obviously, this week we had a barn-burning uh, big rally on Monday. The Dow went up over 200 points. But in my opinion, I think that the pros are still pushing the market as hard as they can in an effort to get it as high as they can before they sell and exit. Okay, Roger. I just have noticed here that we have Howard is with us now. Howard Davidowitz is with us. So can you hold on, hold those thoughts, and we'll get to Howard, and I'm sure we can pick up on those thoughts a little later. Uh, Welcome, Howard. Uh, Thank you. Welcome to be uh, welcome to turning hard times into good times. I should give. I, I would imagine that most of our listeners are familiar with you. They've seen you on CNBC or Bloomberg or what have you. But I should just uh, perhaps just read off for those that are not familiar with you a little bit of your background. Um, Howard is is one of the most, in my way of thinking, one of the most refreshing truth tellers who frequently appears as a guest in the mainstream media. Mr. Davidowitz, Howard is chairman and so owner of Davidowitz and Associates. It's a highly respected retail industry consulting and investment banking firm. It was founded in 1981, interestingly enough, the year that I started writing my newsletter on gold mining stocks. Howard has extensive experience as a representative of buyers and sellers and as a principal in upper and middle market transactions. He has helped clients to identify, value, finance, negotiate deals across a broad range of retail segments. In more than three decades of assisting retailers in reinvesting themselves for profitable growth, he has accumulated a store of hard-earned wisdom, that's for sure, and developed a direct and pragmatic style. He has appeared over 300 times on CNBC, CNN, Fox News, uh, BBC, Bloomberg, CBS, NBC, Yahoo Finance, and NPR Radio. He's been quoted numerous times in the Wall Street Journal, Business Week, New York Times, uh, London Times, Forbes, etc., etc. It goes on and on. So I have listened to Howard. He's one of those guys that, like I was just mentioning, Meredith Whitney is on CNBC. I usually keep the mute button on most of the time because most of these people are just batting the breeze, saying things that people want to hear. But Howard is not that way. Meredith Whitney is not that way. There are a few people that come on once in a while in the mainstream media that have really have something to say, and Howard Davidowitz is one of those people. Um, Howard, you are a retail analyst and financier. The stock market is up. The boys and girls on CNBC are telling us that our economy is recovering and that while growth may be a bit slow right now, don't worry, it's going to get better. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't see us in that condition because I see 40 million people on food stamps. Uh, I think unemployment is going to go up and not down and uh, probably to 10 and a half. Now, if that happens, that's going to put the banks at risk. Uh, because of bad debts, you know, on credit cards and mortgages and everything else, a lot more 
They've still got those bad assets, so I see continuing problems in the banking system. Uh, when I see the kind of deficits we're running, you know, indefinitely in the trillions, um, I don't understand how our economy is sustainable. Um, you know, when I see us say, well, you know, Medicare's broke, Social Security, none of these things are sustainable, and then we go out and add another benefit, a new health care plan, I thought that's just about the craziest thing I ever saw. So, you know, we're borrowing 42 cents out of every dollar we're spending. That keeps going up. Uh, you know, it, it, the whole thing looks to me like it's irrational, and we're completely running off the track with wild, wild government spending, uh, irrational deficits. And, you know, the difference between us and Greece is we can borrow and they couldn't borrow anymore. So, you know, I, I think we're in a terrible, terrible position. You know, when they talk about job growth, 60 million people work for small business, and it's 60% of the job growth. Well, if you go across this country and talk to small business owners, they can't get credit. Um, they, they, uh, they can't get credit. They can't possibly grow. They're not going to hire. They don't know what the new health care bill is. No one understands it. So that, you know, to me, when I look at our growing debt, our growing deficits, our, all our irrational, this new uh, financial regulation, we, we, you know, you look at a problem, we had a problem with financial institutions, of course we did, and it was terrible, it almost broke the country, but to come up with this kind of regulation will be a disaster. You know, if you just look at the problem, Lehman Brothers collapsed, or Bear Stearns collapsed, so if you look at those companies and all the problems, you say, what happened? Mm -hmm. Well, bro, here's what happened. They had three cents in capital for every dollar. That's yep. what happened. Mm -hmm. So if you look at these companies and you say, well, what would happen if they had 20 cents? No one would have gone broke. Right. Right? right. Everything would be fine. If right. they had 20. So what you do is you deal with that problem. Right. Right. I mean, if you solve that problem, no one would go broke. Well, that's, you're asking for discipline. You're asking for managers of companies and banks to be disciplined, and, and, and they've learned over time, and they've learned again, actually, Howard, because they've gotten bailed out, for God's sake. They, they don't have to be responsible. They can just leverage to the hilt. And the big guys especially, not the little companies, not the little firms, but the big guys, not the regional banks, but the big guys, the money center banks can say, oh, my goodness, we've got to be bailed out because the whole country's going to go broke. So yep. and so, where do we go from here? I mean, clearly, that's the mindset. Do you believe that there should be no thing as too big to fail? Oh, I, I think the too big to fail was nuts. I would, I, and I was on every show. I would have bailed out no one, and I yep. was public on that at the time, everywhere. I thought no one should be bailed out. I thought we sent a terrible message. I, you know, we're in the restructuring business. We've mm -hmm. restructured hundreds of companies. And in the United States, we have to restructure our economy. Now, what works is pain. Massive doses of pain. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that works. Right. And then you learn to be disciplined because right. of that pain. Pain. Right? Pain. You, you, you have to have pain. Right. And then you, 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 you shrink the size of government. Tremendous pain. Medicare, we can't pay for. Pain. Social Security, we can't pay for. Pain. Right. Every government institution is broke, including the FDIC pain. So we got to have tremendous amount of pain 
to fix the problem. Yeah. We've avoided the pain. We piled on the debt. We've exploded the debt. We've exploded the deficits. Look at what they've done with municipalities who are all broke, right? Yeah. Illinois, New York, it's endless, uh, California. What, the, what Obama did is he, t- you know, he bailed them all out. So they didn't, none of them have taken the appropriate actions. Now they're broke again. Right. How, do you know? How are we going to keep the teachers? How are we going to keep the policemen? We're in the restructuring business. <clears throat> all roads lead to hell. You don't keep enough. You, you have to make choices on where to cut. You right. make choices on where to cut. Right. Not be bailed out. Yeah. So everything we're doing is the wrong thing, putting us in the wrong place and putting our country more and more at risk, putting the dollar at risk. Just look at the performance of the dollar. I mean, we're all, everything to me is going in the wrong direction. I think Obama's been wrong on everything, and so is his administration, and I just think it's going to be catastrophic. Right. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear you say that. I happen to agree with you, unfortunately. I, I, what do the people say when you go on CNBC or someplace and you give this message and the Joe Kernans of this world, the guys, the glad-handing people, are, what do they say? You know, you say we have to have pain. They say why? What do they say? I mean, really, and actually, Howard, I think we've all been taught in our Economics 101 courses, uh, Keynesian Economics, which says that you don't have to have a recession, you don't have to have a market-cleansing experience. You can always bail them out by printing more money. Isn't that what we're doing? Of course, I, 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 which is mad. Uh, I really don't care what they said. They have an option to invite me or not. Yeah. Uh, half the time I'm busy, I can't go. When I can go, I'm happy to go. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the one thing is no one tries to influence what I say, and they're all very professional, and they don't. Yeah. And I say what I want to say to anyone who interviews me, and then it's up to them if they want to you know, call me again. That's true of the radio, the TV, and anybody else who calls me. I say it the way I want to say it, and then the choice is theirs as to what they want to do. And I think that's perfectly fair. So that's how I function with them. You know, I go on, they don't say anything. I mean, I say what I have to say, and I leave. And I have very professional relationships with those folks. They're doing their job, or however they're doing. I mean, and that's it. So, yeah. you know, I, I just do what I've got to do. They do what they've got to do, and that's it. So that's how I handle that. It seems to be fine. I, frankly, I consider most of these people professional. I, I mean, I think they're doing their job as they see it. Yeah. My job is to say what I've got to say as I see it. Well, I'm thankful that you do that, Howard. Uh, I think there, maybe, maybe I'm being too judgmental. Maybe most people are trying to do, you know, are doing what they believe is right. All I can say is you're a voice crying in the wilderness to a certain extent, because so much of what we hear, it seems to be self-serving for the sponsors on the shows. And I don't know what's, you know, what's going on, but all I can say is thank you to you and Meredith Whitney and a few other people uh, for, for telling it like it is. And I guess you're independent. You are an independent company, aren't you? You don't own my have to own answer business. to anybody. I you know, have for a very long time. We have our own capital. We have everything. We do everything with our own money. So we are accountable. We're not a, you know, I don't have to answer to anyone. Right. I own the stock of my car. I could do whatever I want to do. And they know that, and, and that's why I consider them professional. They have a point of view. They have an approach. And, I, you know, everything seems to work fine. I, you know, I say what i got to say, and that's it. 
Well, I'm glad you do, and you know, I, I know that you were, I think, a co-host on uh, on the show on Bloomberg in the morning, Thomas Keene's show at one yep. time, and I'm, you know, I just really love to have you. We usually hear you when you're on there on breakfast, when my wife and I are having breakfast, or whenever you're on. As I say, I take the mute button off when you're on. Uh, Alan Greenspan suggested the other day that we could be facing a double dip in housing. Do you think that's true? Oh, if you look at the housing picture, it's amazing. Yeah. All you have to do is look at the amount of supply out there. Oh, I think, uh, to me, that's in the bag. I think we're going to have a double dip in housing. And uh, uh, you've got a situation in housing where, you know, we we, we just, it's almost guaranteed to me. Uh, We've got production of housing way down, right? But we've got home vacancies way up, mm-hmm. I tell you. That is a formula for death. When you've got production of housing on the floor, that's what you got, right? right? And you have vacancies up, that means you are guaranteed a double dip in housing. Now, that's what you got. Right. You've got home construction at the low, and you've got vacancies at the high. And I understand there are a lot of people that are staying in their house in their homes who haven't paid their mortgages in a year or two, and the banks oh. can't get to all the back work, all the paperwork oh, that's required that, to get oh, them yeah, out. Oh, that's on and on. But the formula I just laid out, uh-huh. which is indisputable, means we have a housing problem for a very long time, and of course that's the consumer's largest asset. Right. And that's what they have used as a piggy bank and everything else to refinance on and on and on. But that formula of where we are in housing is indisputable. Mm -hmm. So I think we're headed to a really bad place in housing, and I think that's coming. And and again, that affects the banks. See, the shape of the consumer, people don't... It goes back to the banks. Right. All it is, people seem to think that the banks are fixed. No, no, no. (laughs) No, 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 no. First of all, the banks, all of these numbers they have, I can't figure out what the accountants are doing, and I, I just don't even understand how the accountants could possibly be in business. They're being paid fees of 20 and $30 million. They have hundreds of people working at these banks. They come in every three months. They're valuing the assets. They're doing everything. What are they doing? Yeah. What are they checking? All of the numbers are fake. I don't understand anything of what the accounting standards are or anything else. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing, and I don't know how we can ever evaluate anything without real numbers. And one of the reasons these companies got all these leverage, the main problem was over leverage everywhere, right? But the, what, the reason they got the leverage is because all the numbers were fake. Right. So I understand none of this stuff, and I don't know what the accountants are doing, but I think they're a major part at the core of this problem are the public accountants, right. because they are the ones who come in. They are the experts. They are hundreds of thousands of hours, fees of 20, 30 millions of dollars, hundreds of people every three months. They check every quarter, not once a year, every quarter. <laughs> what the hell are they doing? What did they check? You would have you would have thought uh, somebody would have had some some recognition of the problems lying ahead. Right. But I mean, yeah, they're valuing the assets. How right? the hell did they value them? They were <laughs> worth nothing. Yeah. 
You can't know what's on the bank balance sheets. There's no transparency to speak There's of. There's nothing. I mean, the whole thing was a gigantic Ponzi scheme. And he's accounting. I mean, you know, of course the companies have every interest in getting their bonuses. I mean, we all understand what happened. Sure, sure. But on and on and on. But the accountants are there to check every detail. I mean, they're signing off on the financial statements quarterly. Um, Howard, I've got my partner with me, Roger Wiegand, and Roger has had experience in the past as a real estate developer for housing projects and small and sub-regional retail uh, projects as well. I think Roger has a question or two for you relating to real estate. Uh, Roger? Roger's here. Uh, Howard, you had, you had uh, something you wanted to ask, good, Howard. Good to hear from you. Uh, one of the questions I had is, you know, General Growth had to file bankruptcy, as yep. you know, and I'm wondering what your view is for the future of existing uh, major shopping malls and the big box stores that are parked nearby. Well, here's where we are. Number one, no enclosed shopping centers, shopping malls are being built this year. Let me repeat, none. So if you're in the mall business, you know for a, we, we, you and I have the facts. Vacancies up, rents down, right? right. No question about that. That's just hard numbers. Shopping, enclosed shopping centers are not being built because department stores are not growing. It's one of the weakest parts of the retail business. By the way, Centro Properties also collapsed, and that's a huge shopping center developer. So that, you know, you've got a, a, a bad situation in commercial real estate generally, and you have it now in office and other things, and we all know that, and that's a crisis that's also going to smash the banks that are going to hit those community banks very hard. And so I think commercial real estate and a lot of bad real estate in retailing is still out there. And if the retail environment stays tough, and I believe it will stay tough, you're going to have an ongoing problem in closing shopping centers and restructuring debt and all of the rest of it. Right now, we sort of leveled off a little. The real estate investment trusts have done terrific. You know, they have done very, very well. Big bounce back there. But I continue to see huge problems in commercial real estate generally and, and shop, the shopping center business. When you've got a trend of vacancies up and rents down, and those are the hard numbers, you've got a problem. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you, we have a problem, all right. Uh, Howard, you had indicated, I know, on a, on a video clip that I saw recently, I guess with Yahoo or somebody, that you had um, had done very well in the bond market yep. over the past number of years. Yep. Now, let me ask you, the, the government, are, you know, we have all this, all this debt, yep. and there's quantitative easing, and they're talking about more of it now because the economy's looking soft, and, you know, there's... The government, in theory, can issue all the debt at once. I mean, unlike the states, it can, it can print right. money to pay yep. for it, right? Now, you've made all this money in the bond market. Yep. How long do you think this bond bull market can, can last? I mean, the 30-year treasuries have been in a bull market since 1982. Right. How much further can we go? How, are you still bullish on bonds? Well, we're less, a lot less bullish than we were uh, we have done over the past period is extremely well with bonds, and so have our partners really well with bonds. And uh, if you're in the equity markets, of course, over the last 10 years, you haven't made any money. Right. That's just a decade, lost decade, so to speak. Um, 
and we've done really, really well. I, I again with BB bonds, etc. We've done very well. I um, basically we have a, a substantial position in gold. We've had that for a while, um, and that's the real wealth. Uh, I'm talking about bullion, yes, gold futures, mm-hmm. uh, which we have. And uh, we believe we, we still continue to have a certain bond shorter term. So we've tightened up our position. We have more cash. And we're basically waiting to see what happens. Mm-hmm. My, own, my, my own view is that uh, municipal bonds have huge risk. Yeah. We've, done, we've done very well on our municipal portfolio. We've sold a lot of them mm-hmm. because... I just see munis with huge, huge risk. They, you know, in the past, their default rate was effectively almost zero. Yeah. But I think that's going to change as we go forward, uh, because ultimately, I, Obama will continue to try to bail out everybody, but eventually he just, no matter what he wants to do, he just won't be able to do it. Yeah. Well, so it's that, interesting. I think munis have risk. We, we're short-term. We're more in cash. We have gold. We're much more conservative, so we're not that optimistic about bonds. Uh, but we and we also have some equities now, uh, high dividend, uh, a few high dividend equities, big position. So we've done okay with those. Sure. So that we sort of have a mixed bag. Uh, that's our job. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are very conservative, very cautious because I just see this country. You know, and I in terrible shape and getting worse every day. Right. I mean, I'm... every day when I look at this health care plan, when I look at these financial regulate, I mean, you're going to have a bunch of bureaucrats going around. I, I, of course, we had massive fraud in the banking business, and the shadow banking business was an even bigger disaster with AIG, Bastards, Lehman, and all the rest of them in the shadow. They're unregulated completely. Of course we need control. Of course we need higher capital requirements. That's the key, and it has to be put in over time. You can't do it tomorrow because the whole economy will collapse. But you can start that tomorrow. Right. I don't need a 2,000-page bill. They just wrote a 2,000-page bill. You know what? It doesn't say what the capital requirements are. They've been working on this a year with countrywide Chris Dodd. Yeah. So none of this makes any – their approach to everything looks nuts to me. And it doesn't – I mean, it just – we had a problem of over-leverage. That's the problem. Right. In, in the restructuring business that we've been in for 40 years, where we put our own capital at risk and have for years, you sort of have to come to the heart of the problem very quickly. Right. And you've got to take action quickly to stop the bleeding. That's right. what you do in my business. We have done nothing to stop the bleeding. We are digging the hole deeper. Right. We are getting more in debt. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what the hell we're doing. We're going to insure 30 million more people. We're going to I mean, We're in Afghanistan now. I was in the United States Army. I was in USA Armor, which was in Kentucky after my basic training in Fort Dix. Went down there. I was a young guy. All I know, I was like all the other young guys, I... I, you know, I was able to go through eight weapons. You know, when you're a tank corps, the, the cannon, the 50 caliber, the 30 caliber. I qualified with eight different weapons. I was ready to go to war, no problem. By the way, that took eight to 12 weeks. 
Right. Now, right. we've been training these people in Afghanistan for nine years. Well, I'd like to get on to uh, ask you some more things about that. I want to get back to your issue, uh, your own gold, which is uh, I have never heard you talk about that on the mainstream, so I'd like to get your, uh, your uh, thoughts on gold and some of these other things. A few more ideas and questions I have about bonds, different kinds of bonds. Can you stay with us for another 10 or 15 minutes or so, Howard? Yes. Kenya, we have to go to a commercial break, sure. and then I'll have you right back. Sure. Folks, don't go away. We're going to have Howard right back as soon as this commercial break. Don't go away. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Mill Rock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Mill Rock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Mill Rock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its Gold Fields Project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Dasha Capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals, giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk. Rare earth elements are used in many industries, from aerospace and automotive to high-tech and green tech. Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit at www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's D-A-C-H-A-Capital.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Down. Try not to touch. 
tried too hard. It's just a love You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor, at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. I also want to thank our sponsors for the second hour. They are Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, Sullivan Gold Corp., Dasha Capital, Richfield Ventures, Athabasca Uranium, Brigus Gold Corp., Everston Resources, Millrock Resources, and Golden Hope Mines. Uh, we're back here with Howard Davidowitz. Howard, when we went to the break, you were talking about bonds, and you, you're very cautious in bonds, and I understand that, probably keeping short-term treasuries. Is that part of what you're that, doing? That's right, short-term. Short-term treasuries and, and probably some high-quality utility stocks, perhaps, that are giving you good yields. corporate. Corporate, okay. Yeah, corporate. Very good. And you also had mentioned that you have a, a position in gold, or your investors do. Uh, tell do. us your rationale for gold. And I, I had never heard you talking about gold on the mainstream media before. Gold is very much what this show is about. Gold mining companies are our sponsors. Uh, you know, I believe in gold, that gold is real wealth, that you can't get rid of it. Right. Uh, governments may try to get rid of it because they don't want the discipline of gold to keep them from printing money to bail out their friends and all that stuff, the nonsense that's going on now. But you're owning gold, and that was music to my ears to hear a man uh, like you say that. Could you just explain to our listeners? Oh, yeah. We, we started our major investments in gold about 10 years ago. I think the price we bought it at was something like $420. God bless you. Uh, we took huge positions. We still own it, again, because we're buying uh, American Eagles. Uh, you know, we, we're actually buying uh, the bullion, mm-hmm. uh, and we've and that's what we've always done, so that we um, have some Krugerrands as well, so that uh, we bought the bullion, and we took some very large positions I did personally, and we bought it all the way up, but our biggest, our average price is somewhere around 600 mm-hmm. uh, So we, you know, we're in a decent position, but we're in no, we have no interest in selling any of our gold. Well, I would ask if you sold it, what can you buy in exchange for it? I mean, well, what, that's what's why we're not selling right now? So we're not going to we're not in the market to sell any gold, right? But we've accumulated you know, many millions um, over the years, and will continue to uh, buy it on dips, etc. So we believe in gold because we see what's happening to the dollar. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see the risk the dollar is at in terms of the world's reserve currency. And also, at the end of the day, what the hell will the government do? We can never pay off this debt, right? Yeah. It's almost impossible. Right. So we can only inflate our way out of it. That's, it looks to me at least, that, I mean, what the hell else can you do? Right. So in the, at the end of the day, we'll start little by little. Of course, they're not going to do this overnight. Right. But I think Bernanke will come to the conclusion he, he can't take deflation like Japan had. What is he going to do 
uh, the only answer will be to, over time, inflate your way out of this. At least mm-hmm. that's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. Now, if that's what they do, and I don't know what else they can do. So if that's what they do, it looks to me like your gold position is pretty solid. Right. And that is the logic, and I just told it to you, that's my logic on the gold. Right. Well, Howard, do you see the, po- the possibility then of a hyperinflation sometime for the United States? You know, I-, I think that's a possibility. I think they will try to manage very hard, manage the inflation, you know, over time, obviously. Whether it will think- get out of control and become hyperinflation, I think there's a risk that we can go totally out of control. Look, given the debt we have, if interest rates ever go up, we can't pay the interest. I mean, what the hell do we do? We can't right. pay the interest. Right. I mean, we've we got to understand the interest we're paying, which has gone from 4% of our budget heading out to 13%. If the, I mean, if the interest we're going to pay goes through the roof, and I think that will happen, what do you do? Right. I mean, we're, we've got all this debt, but we're paying a very low rate of interest for that debt. Right. And that's right. one of the things that allows us to stay stable. Yeah, and, that, and foreigners are still willing to buy our treasuries at right. this point in time. Right. Japan, China is still in there doing it, uh, no doubt about it. You know, it, it looks to them like a safe haven. I don't really understand that, but that's what they're doing. It is not logical to me because in some ways China is also trying to undermine our currency. Russia's trying to undermine our currency, the United Arab Emirates. There's a bunch of people out there trying to undermine the dollar as the world's reserve currency. And as we screw ourselves up, right. they're going to get stronger in those efforts. So I don't really get all this, but an inflation will devalue their position in our bonds. So I'm not sure what the hell they're doing, but I think it's going to be one gigantic mess. All right, Howard, I heard you say uh, recently on, uh, on Yahoo, I believe it was, uh, where you talked about the possibility of the United States going the way of Japan in a right. deflationary environment. You right. just said, though, that right. you don't think that Bernanke will, he'll, he'll at least try to stop that. He'll do everything he can, but you see, I have a home in Tokyo and uh, spend a lot of time in Japan. We do, uh-huh. there are partners on a number of things. And they, but, but the point is that if you look at what happened, the comparison, I'll do go this way. I don't think living standards can ever possibly remain the same in this country. And I think that people are starting to recognize that with our debt, our unemployment forever, our structural deficits and everything else. So that, but that's what happened in Japan. Right. In Japan, they call it the salaryman, the average guy who goes to work every day, which is you know, 90% of Japanese. They're salarymen. Mm-hmm. They go to work every day. The salaryman in Japan makes less than he did 10 years ago. Right. The living, and this is a very wealthy country, the second largest economy. So if you, you know, 20 trillion in saving on and on and on, but so, and their debt is owned by themselves, very different. So if you look at Japan, their living standards have gone down dramatically. So the key comparison I make to Japan is that I expect all living standards to go down. Right. See, that's the key. I think that's the key point. 
Okay, so Howard, the living standards could go down through the fires of hyperinflation as sure, well as through deflation, down, the deflationary depression. Sure. Got, okay, so what, you're what, not arguing deflation necessarily. You're right. saying that the living standards are going to go down one way or the other. One way or the other, and that's my point on the comparison. Okay. That the living standards, and that's exactly what happened in the, the great land of the rising sun, and that's what happened there. Right. Uh, folks, we have Jispert Gunenwagen with us. He's a hedge fund manager uh, in New York. And, and Jispert, you, uh, you uh, weren't quite so sure about the comparison with Japan and the U.S. Now that you've heard Howard's clarification, do you still feel the same way? Yeah, no, I do. <clears throat> I what what is your thoughts on that? I just, just share them with Howard, then I'd like to get Howard's opinion if, if, he, uh, if he cares to give it. Well, I think, you know, first of all, Japan is a, is a very controlled society, yeah, you know, the Ministry of Finance tells the, the banks to buy, uh, uh, buy the bonds. Um, next to that, they have a high savings rate. And the other thing is, is that Japan is an export-driven economy. Um, but I think uh, what uh, Howard was saying is true. I mean, we, between a rock and a hard place, there's no yeah. way out. Either through hyperinflation, which I don't think will happen because people will switch immediately to tangible assets, uh, or you get deflation, which, uh, you know, I think is happening at the moment. There's another point I would like to make here, listening, um, is that what Howard was also, in a way, talking about in terms of living standards is what you see very much is birth rates. Yeah? What we see is that, um, you know, the birth rates in these, um, you know, emerging countries is uh, much higher than the birth rates in the, the developed countries. And we see the problem. Japan is a good example, I think, of what could happen to a certain extent in, in terms of structure in the, in the society, i.e. aging and, and pension problems going forward. Um, mm -hmm. The two other remarks that I would like to make is that, uh, you know, we have heard a lot of uh, stories about that, um, you know, the American companies are really cashed up to the amount of about $2 trillion dollars. But what they have forgotten to tell is that the net debt is the highest ever of the U.S. companies, and it's about $7.2 trillion, which is about 50% debt-to-GDP ratio, which is also the highest. Mm. So that focus on purely that you know, the U.S. companies are cashed up is, uh, is, is, is just an omission, uh, is lying by omission by not telling the whole story, in my point of view. Right. Well, thank you. I, I, you know, I think that both of you guys are on the same page. I think most of us on this show, uh, most of our guests on this show are on the same page. It certainly seems to me, though, that Jispert, that one of the things, whereas Howard was out ahead of the game buying gold 10 years ago, it seems to me there's a gigantic propaganda game going on in our country to keep people happy with their paper. The spin that you hear every day on CNBC and so forth, their guys are doing their job, I suppose. But, you know, it's all about the antithesis of what Howard was talking about. It's the, it's, it's the opposite of, what, of what, uh, we are, what the establishment wants us to think. They want us to have confidence in that paper. And if you just take a look at it, trillions and trillions of new dollars being created out of nothing, you know, I think, Howard, you've got it right. I mean, this is... Um, I, you know, kudos to you for your ability to go out on mainstream television and talk about this stuff. I, I really, really appreciate your your uh, your insights and have for many years. Um, Roger, did you have one last question, perhaps, to ask uh, Howard before we let him go? Well, I think uh, getting back to retail just for a second, I think that the uh, Internet, the impact of the Internet on the brick-and-mortar stores, I think, has been uh, dramatic. And I'm just wondering if Howard thinks that's going to continue, especially in this environment. 
Actually, uh, the Internet uh, is the fastest-growing uh, segment of retail. However, the brick-and-mortar stores are gaining from it because the losers will be the shopping centers. Because if you take a company like Staples, they're now doing like $11 billion in online sales. I, I mean, so the brick-and-mortar stores, many of them, like Walmart and many others, are investing a fortune in doing online sales. So they see that as a growth vehicle to build their businesses. So, yes, clearly the online piece of the business is, is the strongest growth vehicle. We all just see what Amazon is doing. It's astounding their growth rate and everything else. But I will say that the brick-and-mortar stores have jumped on this and are using it as a growth vehicle. The problem is they're left with that brick-and-mortar, and how do you expense that? And that's our problem. we got 21 square feet of selling space for every man, woman, and child in America, and we probably need somewhere between 12 and 14 square feet. And with the growth of the Internet, we're going to need less that's a problem, and wow. that weighs on the whole concept of how many stores we built. And because of easy money, we went out and just built stores everywhere. None of it made any sense, and we're gonna, we got a free lunch, and we're going to have to buy dinner. So there's a lot of pain coming down the road on all of this retail real estate that's been overbuilt. That's going to be a major problem. The Internet is going to be a part of that. But brick-and-mortar stores are trying to use the Internet as a growth vehicle and are finding some success. Wow, very interesting. Fascinating stuff. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have now. Howard, thank you so much for coming on to being with us today uh, to talk to our listeners. I want to thank you so much. Is there, I guess the best way to keep track of what you're doing is just, just watch the mainstream. Like sure, NBC. I just watch. I mean, we don't have anything we send out. We're pretty busy, and uh, that's all we do. We have no letters or anything like well, that. Well, thank you. When thank we have you so time, much, we Howard. Show I really, really, really appreciate you coming on our show. I think you've, you've helped us an awful lot, and, and keep doing the good work that you've been doing. Thank you Thanks. very much. We're honored to be invited, and I wish all of you well. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Howard. Bye-bye. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Mark Weaver. Uh, he's going to be with us to talk about Ashburton Ventures. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. 
Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol RVC. Led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to richfieldventures.ca for further information. Solidan Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this, expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year, highlighting a very positive and economical project, and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.solidan.com to learn more. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by dasha capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk rare earth elements are used in many industries from aerospace and automotive to high tech and green tech Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's D-A-C-H-A-Capital.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. to turning hard times into good times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, well, that was certainly uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of very interesting information. Always outspoken, uh, to say the least. Howard... Um, uh, is really a very interesting person. I hope you enjoyed that. We're, we're going to go now to uh, the more practical aspects of what Howard had to say. How can we make money? How can we invest? Howard is a big, uh, Howard Davidowitz is a big gold investor, he told us, and that was news to me. I hadn't known that before. He'd never talked about that on the mainstream, in the mainstream media very much, if at all. 
but we're talking now to uh, Mark Weaver. He's from Jay's Watch List, and uh, he's going to make a few comments about Ashburton Ventures. You know, I talked to Howard, or talked before we talked to Howard Davidowitz about how the junior mining companies are the companies that go out and find the gold. The big guys are now reporting big profits, as I suggested and thought they would with the real price of gold rising. We just had second quarter earnings reports from the likes of uh, Newmont and Gold Corp and Agneagle Eagle, just to name three that I follow closely. And we're seeing that happen. Now, this is good news, in my view, assuming you believe, as I do, that we're in a long-term bull market for gold because capital flows from the big guys down to the little guys that are looking for the gold in the ground. And one company that is looking for gold in the ground that nobody but nobody seems to be paying any attention to is a company called Ashburton Ventures. Trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol ABR. There's 45 million shares of stock outstanding. And why I say nobody's paying attention to it is it's selling for a measly six cents. That gives it a market capitalization of $2.7 million, which is, you know, pretty much the cost of what a public shell would cost to get a company to go public, basically, in the, uh, in the, uh, in the Canadian market. So, uh, Mark, I, I'd just like to ask you then, what do you think is going on with Ashburton? The stock is at six cents. Nobody knows the story. Is there any reason why people should pay attention to this company after all? I mean, why would you pay attention to a six cent stock? Well, exactly, Jay. And I think, that, I think that's the issue behind Ashburton. Over the last couple of years, as Ashburton's looked into different business enterprises, they've investigated lithium, they've looked at properties up in Alaska and Yukon, there's a number of things that they've been committed to, and they've gotten shareholders excited in the last couple of years and seen a run-up in share price, which has subsequently come off and you know, down to the $0.06 level. And w- when we first started looking at it, we saw it at $0.05. Cents. And to be honest with you, Jay, we thought um, you know, we should be cautious in, in investigating it further because like a lot of junior companies, you know, these things tend to be pump and dump. They tend to overstretch themselves. They tend to get into properties and ventures that they simply don't have the financing yeah. or the expertise to continue through to re, you know, give the return to shareholders. And that was our concern going through. Um, when Ashburton went down to Nevada you know, you know, to claim the property that they're, that they're now working on, you know, that's when my interest picked up. I mean, I've got some interest in, in, in Nevada. You know, I know the Elko area where they're operating. Um, you know, they're within 50 kilometers of, of the Midas Mine, for example. I mean, it, you know, the, and they have some good real estate. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the reason they found this property is because this used to be a Franklin, Nevada property. Okay. And uh, the, the results that Franklin, Nevada had done turned up, uh, indicated and inferred of about uh, 70,000, uh, yeah, about 70,000 ounces, and uh, inferred about 477 as well. So just over half a million ounces indicated and inferred. And it simply didn't fit their profile. It wasn't something they were going to commit into. So they let the claims expire. And the geologists who were working with Ashburton at the time picked it up. And they huh. said, you know, it's not big enough for a large company, but it's great for a junior company. And so they've, they've put some money into it. It's really become their flagship project. This is Deep Creek, Nevada. Deep Creek is the name of the property. Now, Mark, you say that they had a resource. Uh, this would not be a 4311, of course. It would be a resource of just under a half a million ounces. Half a million ounces. Now, this is based on historical information coming out of Franklin, Nevada. Right. So right. This is not a 43-101 yet. Understood. But, yeah. but is this now, um, you know, that's, that's not a big deposit, I'll admit that. But uh, what are the prospects, as far as you understand, for this becoming somewhat larger than that? I mean, we're looking at 
from what I saw, drilling only to 122 meters, and the strike length wasn't all that wasn't all that great. So, is what, do they know more about the structure? Does this thing stretch out a ways in which they have a lot more drill targets, or, or what's the story? Well, they and they in fact believe it does. Now, the the depth that they had originally released their information based on, which was 122 meters, um, they committed to about a 4,000 meter drill program that would represent about six to ten holes along a range front area. And in fact, they went down a lot deeper than 122 in, in, the, in their last hole that they've completed. They went down, in fact, below 200 meters. And they found that the mineralization that they had talked about is actually open in depth. Oh, okay. So they now, can, in fact, Mark, go down a, went, lot, a lot I'm, further. I'm sorry, what? They could, in fact, go down a lot further, and, and they probably will in the, in the next few holes that they drill. Okay, so do they see the potential here at depth and not a long strike, or both a long strike and a depth? Well, that strike looks, in fact, it's probably going to be closer to about 1,200. 1,200 feet, meters? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we're looking now at the possibility of something bigger then, yeah. I guess. And, and I see the last drill hole, or there was one that was released recently. They did, uh, they did have some visible gold in the, in the core, so a lot of times that can portend for very high grades, I guess. Absolutely, and, that, and that's, that's, what they're, that's, that's what they're exploring with at this point. That second hole that they've just finished has, has showed up visible gold in the samples that they pulled out at, at several depths. So as they look forward to the next four to six holes that they drill, I mean, that's the big thing that they're going to be watching. Okay, Mark, do you have any idea, is this company have money in the bank or are they going to have to raise some more money at, at six cents? What is the situation at this time? There's not very much money in the bank. They okay, so that is a risk that investors need to be aware of. That they, you know, be at six cents if they have to raise money at six cents. It, you know, you, you have the dilution factor, which is always a risk with these companies. On the other hand, we're looking at a $2.7 million market cap company, and if they can come up with some sort of reasonable resource and, and expand this thing, and if the market can start to see a much larger, high-grade deposit, then I would think the share price could respond to that very nicely. Absolutely, it could. Absolutely. It's, it's all about credibility. I mean, here's a company that, that's, that's working in the historical property that has some numbers there that were of interest to, you know, to a major. Yep. And uh, you know, they're, being, you know, they're demonstrating that they can prove that those numbers are real and uh, that the mineralization is open in depth. And yeah. so at, this, at this point, they either have to join venture. Um, they, have enough, they have enough cash in the bank to finish the drill program, there's no doubt. Okay, that's good. Yeah, they can so finish their current the drill we, program. Yeah. All right, the time uh, get Roger, I want to ask you, you took a look at their chart. What do you see on the chart? Well, they had been, as, as I mentioned earlier, in a long declining situation on price. They, uh, in, in December of '07, they were up at a 25 cents, and they went all the way down to a nickel. Uh, the, the 52-week high on this stock was uh, 16.5 cents. The low was four and a half cents, and uh, as it stands right now, um, it looks to me like the stock has got a bottom. It had a it had a bottom at five cents in uh, ju- uh, June, July last year, and again this year. And the interesting thing is, the volume did spike up recently, and the stock did perk up from a nickel up to six, and the volume was four hundred and twenty-five thousand shares. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty interesting. People are looking at it. They're thinking that you know it's attractive enough so that uh, it may warrant some interest. Well, at this price, you know, I mean, people, a lot of people are speculators, just going to go in and and maybe hope for a double or so. And I, I guess um, we're we're. I mean, if you could get through those old highs of uh, what'd you say, sixteen cents or so, Roger, yes. then you could be off to the races if this company really starts to find something. The market goes through there. 
Yeah, it's at six cents now. The shares and there is resistance at a dime, ten yeah. cents, and again at fifteen cents. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, uh, Mark, any closing thoughts on this company? Well, I, I think what we have to do is we we have to watch carefully over the next couple of months. Their their results should be out in the beginning of, of uh, third quarter, and then we'll be able to know what those remaining holes look like. One hole doesn't make a mine, for, you know, for sure. But if we can get two or three holes in there that confirm this same degree of mineralization across the range front that they're talking about, yeah. it's, it's quite possible, you know, you know, six cents could become eight, eight and a half by the time we get into October. Right, and I think that deeper drill hole down to 200 meters, we've not yet had any assays from that. Is that right? That's right. They're all going to come out here in, in, in a few weeks. Okay, so I would imagine that if we can, you know, if, if, that, if that's a blockbuster hole, if it, if it turns out to be a high grade and nobody knows for sure if it is, I, I mean, I, I guess the geologists that have seen it might have some sense of it, but nobody knows until you really assay it. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the point that I'd like to make here with respect to these kinds of little penny stocks is that they have enormous upside potential. They also carry with them very considerable risk. And that's why I tell my subscribers, I always I suggest, never allocate more than 5% of your portfolio to any one good stock, any one stock, because you just never know. And, you know, if you diversify the risk, chances are one of these companies are going to come through big for you and, and make it all very worthwhile. At least that's been my experience over the last number of years. So uh, I, I just want to ask you uh, both, if you could uh, both stay on with me as we go to the next uh, into the next uh, segment, we are going to be talking to Blaine Wilson, and he is the president, uh, director, and CEO of uh, of Klondex Minerals. So, uh, can you both stay with us for a couple more Absolutely. minutes? Absolutely, sure thing. Okay, great, Mark. You can stay too. Absolutely. Okay, great. So, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Blaine Wilson, uh, as I said, the director, uh, pre- president, and CEO, actually of Klondex Mines. We'll be right back. <laughs> Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. 
Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Barkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Mill Rock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Mill Rock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Mill Rock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm very pleased to have with me Blaine Wilson. He's the president and CEO of Klondex Mines. And also back with me is Roger Wiegand, my partner and technical analyst, as well as Mark Weaver, who uh, from Jay's watch list. So welcome, Blaine, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thank you so much. We, we certainly appreciate you having us again. Well, it's really great to have you again. We've, uh, uh, you've had some very interesting developments since we last talked to you, most notably uh, financing, uh, a fairly good-sized financing, actually, and we want to get into that. But let me just tell our listeners that uh, you trade on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol KDX. Uh, you also trade on the over-the-counter market in the U.S. under the symbol KLN, as in Nancy, D is in David, F is in Frank, K-L-N-D-F. Uh, about 32 million shares outstanding and uh, somewhere around $1.60, $1.70, something along those lines. Is that right? That's correct. Got it right? Okay. All right. So you have this property called the Fire Creek property in Nevada. And uh, give our listeners, uh, just, just recap that for us. How many ounces do you have? What's the potential grade? Uh, tell us a little bit about the project. Well, it's located in northeastern Nevada. We're right on the Eureka and Battle Mountain trends. Uh, we're in Crescent Valley. You know, some of our, our biggest neighbors to the south, obviously, is Berrigs Cortez and Cortez Hills. So they're on the same trend uh, to the southeast uh, of us. Uh, Newmont's Mill Canyon Mine is located uh, 
you know, like seven miles uh, north of us. So, but what it is is we have a high-grade vein structure. It's uh, currently our resource stands at uh, 2.1 million ounces. Uh, 1.6 million of that is indicated at an average of 10 grams uh, per ton, and we use a five-gram cutoff in our calculations. And we have an additional 500,000 ounces inferred of about eight and a half grams, also the five-gram cutoff. And uh, you know, we're quite excited about the the opportunities and where we're headed uh, with this property right now. Uh, Mark, did you have a question for Blaine? I would love to ask Blaine a question about the credit facility that they've uh, recently negotiated to uh, take the project further, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, right. Well, for us to, to bring our, our project, and, and right now the way our permitting stands is we have the expiration bulk sampling permit, which allows us the 120,000 tons over the life of the permit, but no more than 36,500 tons in any given year. And so right now uh, what we're striving to is now to change our philosophy. Up until this point, we've been a surface exploration company. And we're certainly going to continue with our surface exploration program. In fact, we just announced our 2010 drill program this year. It's over 30,000 feet, uh, $1.8 million U.S. Um, to do some step-out drilling, some infill drilling, and, and some other targets that are of high interest to us. And uh, so to make all this happen and to, and to get to bring out that first bulk sample, we've elected to continue with our underground uh, exploration drilling program where we're going to drive a 4,000-foot decline we're going to install a 750-foot vent raise or secondary escape, and at which point uh, we'll have the opportunity to bring out that first bulk sample. And so for all that to happen, we require to raise approximately $20 million uh, U.S. to do that, you know, about $14.5 million of it's for the decline in the vent raise and, and the surface structures, and then there's a, another $4.5, $5 million for surface and underground exploration and field drilling, and then also some monies there to advance our, our permit into a full production permit over the next couple of years. And so to do that, uh, we started looking for ways to raise that money uh, back in, in March of this year. And uh, we were offered over 30, 30 ways to do that. A lot of that was through equity, through blended deals, uh, some uh, convertibles and, and other opportunities. But we wanted to uh, be a company. We wanted to really protect shareholder value. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, we only have 32 million shares outstanding, and we didn't want to dilute that. Uh, so we looked for opportunities, ways to, to not do that. So we've, we've signed this term sheet uh, with an investment group out of New York uh, on, a, on a gold loan uh, that gives us a couple opportunities. One, it secures the full $20 million that we need uh, to be successful in our endeavors, but also gives us the flexibility to raise additional funds if and when we choose uh, at other opportunities uh, that may or may not present themselves. So, so essentially that's what we've done, and, and uh, we're in the middle of the, the due diligence of closing that deal now. And uh, right now the target closing date is the end of August of this year. Uh, Blaine, let me ask you, you have uh, the deal calls for, I believe, selling your gold forward or selling it to the, to the lenders at $825. We're looking at, I don't know what gold is, it's, it's under 1200 now. Uh, obviously, you know, nothing comes for free, right? So you're going to pay one way or another, and part of your idea here, uh, you know, was to limit shareholder dilution. We talk about shareholder dilution all the time with these little mining companies. But uh, at $825, do you believe you can get gold out of the, uh, this bulk sample to, to sort of uh, pay back that loan, or, or what, what is your thinking there? We, we absolutely can. We've been working with our, our mine engineers and our geologists uh, to ensure that we're able to do that. Out of the next year, we should bring out that first bulk sample, 36,500 tons. It has a target head grade of, of around one ounce per ton. Oh, we wow. expect to recover uh, approximately 32,000 ounces out of that first bulk sample, and then on the tail of that in the following year, we'll bring out the, the second one. Uh, so, yes, we, we certainly do. And it also, uh, the way this uh, deal is structured, we also participate on the upside if gold goes over 1250 
and it's less than over the next 36 months what we expect to recover out of our bulk sample program. It's less than 10% of the production of the bulk sample program, and it's less than 1% of the overall resource of this property. Oh, wow. So, that, so do you think that you can uh, then, then possibly pay off this loan with the bulk sampling that comes out? Uh, that's correct. That's the idea? Yes. And then, uh, obviously, we'll have uh, done a lot more exploration and, and be on your way to possibly. What do, what do you think, uh, how much of the, uh, of the target's been drilled so far? Well, right now the property sits over 11,000 acres, or roughly 17 square miles, and we've drilled approximately 17% of it. Oh. Uh, and then last year we completed, uh, in an effort to aid in our exploration uh, program, we completed a geophysical survey. We did induced polarization, or IP, and we identified 15 new targets. Uh, to look at. Uh, some of those are adjacent to our known mineral resources, uh, but some of those are certainly step out. And uh, we're uh, quite excited about the drill program this year. Uh, Richard Kern and James Bologna and Dave Eastwood have just done a fantastic job with uh, Bob Sipthorpe in Vancouver of, of our drill program, and, and we expect to see some pretty significant results uh, coming out here in the, in the next near little bit. What sort of average grade, you talked about an ounce per ton or close to that coming out of your first bulk sample, but what sort of average grades are you looking at for the total ounces that you've uh, identified so far? We have two primary zones of our mineralization as it stands right now. We have the main zone, which stands at a million ton with an average of about 25 grams per ton. And then we have the north zone, which is about 800,000 tons, an average of about 10 grams. So right now our focus is on the main zone. That's where the decline will be going. And uh, so uh, we expect to see some significant things there. And we also expect that this resource will grow significantly once we get underground and start doing our infield drilling as well. That's very, very interesting. I, I just uh, have not really focused on your company as much as perhaps I should have. There's so many of them out there. But when you're talking about the kind of grades and the kind of numbers you're talking about, if you're able to get that loan paid off, I think you could be, you could be in the catbird seat and things could go very well for you. So I, I really wish you well. Roger, you've taken a look at the chart for Klondex. What do you see? Well, the, the reaction on the chart is uh, they like this company. Um, for a while, uh, last, let's see, 2007, they were up at 225. It sold off in uh, 2008, 2009, bounced back again, back up to $2. But the interesting pattern on this chart is a wide parabolic bottom, which is bullish. And the uptrend that we're in right now, it came out of a recent low at a dollar and a quarter. Uh, hit a dollar seventy-five. It resisted, but what it's doing now, it's going into a continuation triangle. So I think that when things really get busy here and pick up, uh, I in, in the gold market, I think that things are going to be excellent. It looks really good to me. What? How many? Um, uh, sort of a uh, sort of a float do you have? Is there are there a lot of shares hanging out in the market, or are they pretty tightly held? Yeah, they're pretty tightly held, uh, and that's one issue that we're we're talking. Uh, I'm in Toronto right now, talking with our financial advisors about that very issue. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So it is it's tight. You can you can get a position in the company, but it, it is tightly held. Uh, roughly 20% of the shares are held by management and another 20 25% by close insiders and friends. And so, um, so yeah, the, the float is maybe around 5 million shares. I think it's always important for, um, uh, for investors to understand what the, you know, what the hidden motives might be for company managements. And when you have a, a management that owns a large chunk of the company, then I think the interests a lot of times are more likely to be aligned with that of the investors than, than where maybe management doesn't have much skin in the game. So I think, that's, I think that's also a favorable, from my point of view, always a favorable thing to see management owning a lot of shares. What do you think could be, what do you think the biggest risk facing uh, Klondex would be now? 
investors well, that might buy at these levels? What would be the biggest risk? Well, what we're waiting on now is still our final permit, uh, the water pollution control permit from the state of Nevada. And right now it's not a question of as if we receive it as when. Uh, mm-hmm. Right now we expect to see that here within the next uh, 60 days uh, is what we're kind of being told by with our discussions with the state. Uh, so we'll get that, get this uh, financing closed and get that decline uh, down the road and, and start proving up the continuity of these vein structures. Uh, right now we show that their widths are roughly four meters. And uh, so we'll be able to use some nice, good uh, conventional mining methods, uh, which are much cheaper than, than some of our neighbors. And uh, so we expect uh, 2010 to really end with a bang, and we expect great things out of 2011, 12, and certainly 2013. Okay, while you're talking about cost, because it's something I forgot to ask you, when you, when you get that bulk sample out, what do you think your, your, hard ca- your cash costs are going to be to get that out? We're going to be right in the neighborhood of $450 U.S. per ton. $450 per ton or per ounce? Per ton. $450 per ton, but you're talking about an ounce almost. Correct, yeah. So that, gives, uh, that would give investors a sense of what the margin would be if you're $1,200 gold and $450 cost per ounce. I mean, roughly, obviously. I guess you're probably a little bit under an ounce per ton from what you're saying, or at least your recoveries would be. Is this pretty easy milling? Is this a, a, a free gold? Is it a, a gravity separation or what? It is free milling. Uh, we're looking at, uh, with our metallurgical test work, that we see some of our best recoveries using a combination of gravity separation with a cyanide finish. Okay, excellent. Well, I think this is really a very interesting story, one I need to spend more time looking at. I want to thank you, Blaine, for being with us. Folks, uh, that's all the time we have for this segment, but we're coming right back with uh, Roger Wiegand and uh, Mark Weaver as well for a wrap-up on this week's show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and the Good Times. I am pleased to have with me Roger Wiegand and uh, Mark Weaver stayed here too. We may have uh, Mark may have a comment or two, but I want to get to Roger primarily as we wrap up today's show. Roger was with me during the discussion with Howard Davidowitz a little while ago, and what a discussion that was, Roger. I just wondered if you had any more comments on on maybe uh, what Howard had to say, and um, yeah, let's start with that. Howard uh, is really a very enjoyable to listen to because he's very truthful and very blunt. I, I really enjoyed that 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 episode. A uh, couple things that we asked about uh, the malls and, and shopping in particular. Uh, one of the things that he did mention that I, I, I concluded the same, but I wanted his backup, was that the brick-and-mortar stores, which is the bulk of retail in the United States, uh, have gone to Internet selling as well as uh, just the straight Internet companies. And their reasoning behind that, of course, is to try to keep the business growing. And I was surprised to learn uh, one of the... Uh, uh, office supply companies he mentioned had internet sales of eleven billion dollars. Right. So that's where they're going. But he did also mention their big hangover is uh, they own all this property. They've got mortgages on it, or it's free and clear, and the valuations have declined considerably. So on the one hand, they're doing well with the internet. On the other hand, the old hangover from the brick and mortar is really slowing them down. So it appears more people are going to shop on the internet which also theoretically would spike the shares of Federal Express and UPS because they do all the delivering of the goods. Right. I would, I would think also, Roger, the interesting, an interesting aspect of that is that it puts downward pressure on, the, uh, on that commercial real estate, on those buildings. I mean, if, if these companies don't need all that space because they're delivering it more on the Internet, do you think that's a possibility? Absolutely. And, and the next thing, I think, as far as a shoe to drop in real estate uh, the insurance companies and the hedge funds and some of the banks and pension funds are holding all the paper uh, on these on the hard hard asset real estate portion of it. You're talking commercial real estate yeah, now. Yeah, commercial office buildings yeah. and uh, and the malls and and the strip centers and uh, the, since they're holding the paper on it, you've got to wonder how are those payments going to be made as we go into a many years decline for brick and mortar stores. Right. So, so I think that the you know the fan, the finance group that is behind all the retail is probably going to have some serious problems coming up. Very interesting. Uh, we have Mark Weaver here with us. Mark, you're there, right? Yes, Absolutely. Jay. Okay. What about what are you seeing in Toronto? Are you seeing uh, similar things happen in Toronto? No, we're not actually. A lot of the companies up here do have a, a are fairly well uh, capitalized. Lots of cash. There's lots of construction around here. Right. Okay. So you're not suffering the same to the no. same extent. The Canadian economy is doing quite well. Roger, back to you. You had some sense of, uh, or, or you said you were doing some work on some projections on the gold market. Uh, some. Um, uh, would you care to talk about that? Yes. The uh, first of all, in relation to stocks, we think the top for the Dow is ten eight to ten eight fifty. Uh, we're looking at something around ten six right now. 
So we think we're near the peak in stocks. Uh, the other point being that the S&P uh, should be topping out at around 1140, 1150. Uh, we're looking for a top or a peak in those stock markets this week. Now, doing the forecast out further in gold, uh, I'd taken two, uh, two lines for base, one at $1,150, one at $1,050. I think we're going to get a little bit of selling yet more this month because on the calendar, gold normally will start to take off for the fall, the last week of August. We are now in the first week. So if I take a base price of gold at 1050 support, keeping in mind we're at 1188 right now, uh, projecting out, uh, the least we would get on the upside would be 1300 After that, 1450 and then 1575 and then 1690 Most often, we've learned technically that these, uh, these markets will go back to a 50% retracement, either up or down. And if you believe that's true, and we're looking at a 1050 base for gold, keep in mind that's 130 points under where we are now. We're projecting out a 50% increase on gold to $1,575. Well, as Howard Davidowitz told us uh, with respect to his gold, he's not looking to sell any gold. He's buying gold. He's holding gold. But for traders, you could go out there then in theory, if you buy what, what you're saying, Roger, you could go out and maybe sell some CEF or some of those, you know, or some instrument that you hold in gold and look to buy it back at some lower price here. Or if you wanted to hold your position, if you want to protect a little downside, you could buy some puts. But generally, our, our attitude is that we don't want to short gold under any circumstances, although periodically on the little dips you can do it. Yeah. Howard's built a, ma- a fabulous position in gold. From He said his average is around 600 or so, right. and now we're almost double that. He started buying when it was 400 or so. Exactly. So, yeah, you know, I mean, when you're in a long-term bull market, it's always tricky stuff to try to trade against the major trend, I think. So, I mean, if you're a trader, you know, Chen Lin, who's not with us today, he's on our show. Chen is a trader, different kind of a trader than Roger. Both Chen and Roger offer excellent publications. And, by the way, folks, you can, you can uh, get a special trial offer by calling Claudio Bossi at uh, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or go to miningstocks.com. You can get special trial offers, uh, introductory offers, lower price to try both of those services, as well as my letter called J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Well, that's just about all the time we've got for this week, folks. I want to thank you again for listening. Uh, next week, I should tell you, uh, we are going to have... Um, uh, we are going to have... Who are we having? We're John McManus. Uh, John McManus of the John Birch Society, and I suppose many people are saying, oh, my goodness, so the John Birch Society, who are they? Those guys are radical fringe. Well, if come and listen to what John uh, McManus has to say, and then determine for yourself whether they're crazy, whether they're radical uh, fringe or not. Don't make, up, don't make up your mind on the basis of what the mainstream is saying. You listen to the mainstream, you lose your shirts. I mean, we just know that's true. Howard Davidowitz goes out and says what he believes, I would challenge each of you to listen to various ideas outside of the mainstream and then make up your own mind. And John McManus will talk to you next week about why America has moved into fascism. That's all the time we have now. I want to thank my uh, executive producer, Tacey Trump, uh, Ruben Colombe, my operations manager, and Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Thanks to our sponsors. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real.